0: Hooray, like hurrah. Once again, this much has the World Proopcast. takes to the ether. We're from the salubrious confines of the place we're best known for, the Bar Lubitsch, located here in Western Hollywood, across the street from the Pleasure Chest, and uh, the weird rock and roll place, and right next door to the bizarre uh, spa that no one ever goes to. Once again, we join hands and join hearts. If you're listening in your blanket fort, this is an awesome time to set it on fire. If you're riding a bicycle now... Uh, downhill, all the way back home. That's all I have to say. And if you're commuting to work, what the fuck are you going to work for? Why? How long are you going to dance for the man? That's all I want to know. <laughs> but we don't enjoy your leisure time, Greg. No, no one enjoys their leisure time the way I do. And uh, once again, we join up again here to unreal, un- unveil, and unreal, and m- make it unreal, and unveil the mysteries of uh, of uh, Antonine Scalia's untimely demise. And uh, yeah. Oh no, Jennifer's been working hard all week long. Uh, <laughs> and like that but people are giving me so many gifts here. Lewis from San Francisco our friend I had mentioned a book on the show that I bought from Scholastic Books it was several weeks ago when we were in San Degraded California and uh, a guy gave me a, a dumb and dumber joke book and uh, that was a Scholastic book from the 90s but in the 60s and 70s they had Scholastic books and I think this one I don't know if the price is on it but it, they used to cost 30 cents and 60 cents and stuff like that oh there it is oh this was expensive this one was 95 cents uh, I read it when I was 9 or 10 I haven't read it since then it's called Viking adventure by Claude Robert Bulla. Clyde Robert Bulla. Here's the. Here's the. Uh, what it says on the back. Here, uh, Scholastic Book Services. Uh, Sigurd is a Viking boy. His father Olaf the Strong has sailed the sea. Yeah. My dad was Steve, the degenerate gambler. <laughs> My dad would sing at a piano bar, by the way. Uh, I didn't, fortunately, I didn't have to see it. I was too young, but uh, he, 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 he could sing a little. Uh, uh, yeah, Olaf the Strong has sailed the seas and lived through many adventures. Now his sailing days and his fighting days are over. He wants Sigurd to swim, to wrestle, to fight with the sword and shield, to be honest and brave. This is the story of Sigurd's first Viking adventure. It is a story of exi- excitement, danger, and sadness. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, and I haven't marked any pages here, but I'm going uh, to go for the... Uh, I believe they get to the New World. That's my recollection in the book, that they get to Canada uh, or whatnot. Oh, or here's Greenland. Here we are. Um, number, chapter 12, Fog and Storm. If I could do Max Mancino, I would. And I don't mean an impression. I mean I would do Max Mancino if I could, because he's an astounding stud bucket and uh, two years ago Jennifer and I saw him at the TCM Film Festival and they showed The Seventh Seal and he was there for that and it was extraordinary and we saw an interview with him as well and he said um, uh, he played Jesus right in The Greatest Story Ever Told which we've talked about on the, on the show before because it has a fantastically errant cast uh, <laughs> uh, 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 when he's dying and climbing up the hill Sidney Poitier pops out of the crowd to help Jesus carry his cross the last few steps that's the kind of Jesus story that one is Salminio's in it, all right? Let's just get that on right now. Uh, and after he played Jesus, 16, it was one of his first English language big pictures, right? Uh, Leonard Malton asked him, uh, so uh, uh, what happened after you played Jesus in that, in that big uh, Hollywood movie? And he's like, every, every casting director after that always wanted me to play the Pope or Jesus because casting directors have no imagination. <laughs> Uh, which I thought was fantastic And uh, then he, we, They also showed Three Days of the Condor Which uh, you may remember him As the magnificent hitman In that picture And um, he stayed To watch his part At the beginning And then he fucked off Which was aw- Yeah Yeah And uh, he was with his wife Right He's super sexy in French And Max Mancito's Eight feet tall I think uh, Out of the million moments Of Max Mancito's career I'm going to pick A very shallow one Because it's something I enjoyed Several years ago uh, Ridley Scott made A Robin Hood movie With uh, Russell Crowe And Kate Blanchett Where in this one Robin Hood's Overweight and slightly older, and <laughs> has nothing to do with the legend of the movie or anything, and by the way there's seats down front, I think there's a couple over here I don't know if anybody wants to crawl down, I know there's one over there, there's a lot of people crammed in the back and I just don't want the chit chat to start and then me to have to get fucking ugly and shit um,
1: laughter
0: What do you mean it's not going to be rivetingly interesting every moment? Of course it will. It's going to be gripping like every episode, but uh, I I just want people to be comfortable. Is there any seats down there on the side? No, not really. Okay, fuck it. People are on the floor. I love it. Like a Flight of the Concord show. (laughs) And uh, Max Vencito played, uh, I think, Kate Blanchett's dad in the movie, and he's supposed to be 75 and blind, and he sword fights the bad guy in the movie, yeah. And the guy kills him. Spoiler alert. But, uh... (laughs) Max Oncito and however old he was when he made the picture 80 probably 79 um, takes a broadsword and does a big swing and hits him with it and uh, I thought only Max Sydow actually lands a blow when he's blind in a movie uh, that's how formidable he is uh, and in, in any case I can't do his impression it's very poor uh, so I'm going to just carry on reading this normally uh, chapter 12 fog and storm there were more days of fog there were days of wind and rain one night cigarette and air when we're rowing side by side Aaron said our captain talks more with you than anyone else what does he say of Greenland what do you mean asked Sigurd (laughs) a week ago he told us he would soon land in Greenland now he tells us we are far from there why is this (laughs) in the fog we missed Greenland said Sigurd the wind drove us to the south and where are we now south of Greenland and sailing west our captain has told us this do you not believe him I believe him for I see a Tim Hortons up ahead on the port bow (laughs) Those goddamn Maple Leafs, when will they pull it together? <laughs> yeah, they ended up in Canada, which is awesome. And the Vikings called the, uh, the, uh, the Aborigines they found there, the Indians, "Scralings," which is the greatest thing ever, right? Uh, I don't think they stayed for a long time. Chris Jenkins is here tonight, and he's given me a beautiful book called The Book of Bastards, The 101 Worst Scoundrels and Scandals from the World of Politics and Power by Brian Thornton. I haven't looked at it. Somebody say, Uh, number 35, Simon Cameron, Secretary of War Profiteering. 1799 to 1889. An honest politician is one who, when he is bought, stays bought. (laughs) The Founding Fathers. If there's one thing they enjoyed, it was extraneous pussy and bags of cash. (laughs) When James Madison was retreating in disgrace from the White House as it burned to the ground on the back of his horse, there's only two things he could think of. Where did I leave that bag of money? Oh, here's Dolly now with it. Cameron served as Secretary of War for less than a year. During those ten months, Northern newspaper reported widespread graft. Uh, overage muskets were purchased that didn't fire. Blankets were purchased, paid for, and never received. Wow, I didn't know Brown and Root Brown Root and Kellogg was already a thank you, that was for nobody. <laughs> On top of this, all the War Department was spending millions. Oh my God. In December 1862, Lincoln had seen enough. He unceremoniously told Cameron he decided to honor Cameron's previous expressed desire for a change of for a changed position and was nominating him to serve as the new ambassador to Russia. <laughs> it was a fairly frightening place in 1862. Cameron had expressed no such desire. Well done, Abraham Lincoln. Regardless, he was out within a month. He was censured by the House of Representatives for his part in the scandal. It could have been worse. Boy, could it have been. We don't even censure anyone anymore. We simply let them carry on with their crappy job until the end of fucking time. And then later, when the next administration takes over, they go, oh, that's ancient history. That happened a couple months ago. Uh, The House of Representatives, Cameron didn't stay in Russia for long. He was back in the States a year and serving the third term in the Senate. Of course he was. He lived to be 90 years old. He died of natural causes. He never spent a day day in jail for his part in profiteering from the republic's darkest hour bastard it says I'm just going to cross these out and replace uh, Simon Cameron with Dick Cheney all through here (laughs) Dick Cheney will never die and he will never spend a day in jail however he'll pop up on Fox News every few weeks to go the black president whatever his name is I don't like it I don't like it (laughs) And he'll pop up next year and be like, "Oh, the woman! I don't know her, but oh." Or the Jewish guy. I don't. The, the communist one. I don't like him either. I don't approve. Um, say, I can't remember how to pronounce your name, Savian. Santi. Santi. Yeah, like Santiago. Oh, Santiago! Yeah. Santiago gave me these lovely catalogs here, and they weigh over five thousand pounds, and yet look how strong I am.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 Fuck yeah. Uh.
0: There are catalogs And they weigh a ton And they're from Where are they from? The Mocha The Mocha Chicago Which is No they're,
1: they're from Mocha
0: That's just a tote bag Oh that's just a tote bag Fuck me Alright uh, Oh Thinking of You By Barbara Kruger How lovely I don't think we have that one Do it Jennifer And uh What is this one? Uh Stur- Oh Sturdivant Double Trouble These are lovely You spent far too much money on this Look what these fucking weasels gave me <laughs> A 95 cent scholastic book from 1969? How much do you think that costs on the open market? I mean, this isn't the antique road show or whatever, but I'm in it. And then this lovely, uh, this lovely tome here. Thank you. Oh, really? Where do you work? Down there? Yeah, At the MOCA, fantastic. We'd love to, and I'll take you up on that. Thank you very much. This is not to be looked at. Highlights from the permanent collection of the Museum of Contemporary Art in Los Angeles. Thank you so much. We were there at Christmas time to go see uh, Padalesco, and uh, we went to a couple of the exhibits. We didn't have a load of time when we were down there, but it was fantastic. This is so very nice of you. Fortunately, I have a porter, and... um, (laughs) Him and my Emanuensis are going to carry this out. <laughs> Sweet Christ! <laughs> That's what you get when you're like a one-man band. Oh. There we go. Thank you for these lovely gifts. That was so very kind of you. I always worry I'm not going to have anything to talk about at the top of the show, and then people always give me so many things that I'm overwhelmed with everyone's kindness and realize once again that I'm not worthy and uh, uh, of the shitty gifts you give me. And. Um, <laughs> About time we got some fucking art books around here. (laughs) I've made a list of all the books I've received over the last five years. It's highly incomplete, but I'm fixing to read it one dark and snowy night during this podcast. This is going to take about an hour and a half to get through the whole list. Um, Right now, I'm finishing up uh, my life. What is it called? My Life of Ecstasy and Me by Hedy Lamarr, the woman who helped invent uh, what they call Bluetooth now, I guess, and uh, also was a a gigantic movie star uh, in the golden age and made her greatest movies, Algiers, with uh, Charles Boyer, where he says... uh, Come with me to the Although he doesn't ever say it in the movie, and then um, she's in Samson and Delilah with Victor Mature, and um, she was complaining in one of the chapters to Cecil Subito Mel, who directed it, uh, that Victor Mature was hogging up all the shots, and that she was in reverse, and he was uh, in the foreground, staring at the camera. And as you recall, Victor Mature was a giant, oily, handsome, gorgeous, enormous pecs, right, and lots of hair. He looked like Mark Antony. You know, I don't mean the singer Mark Antony. I mean the actual <laughs> Marcus Antonius, the general. Consul of Rome, friend of Caesar, the one who uh, died with Cleopatra while wearing eye makeup, and um, <laughs> high on whatever. Uh, he was so gorgeous. And uh, Caesar DeMille said, Really, Hetty? Do you think that people are going to want to watch Victor's face instead of your ass? That was in the book. The book's gotten saucy, man. (laughs) There was just a three-way in the dressing room next door to hers. And that was pretty wild. This book's from 19... Fuck yeah. People went, what? This book's from 1966. And uh, I got it a couple weeks ago. Someone gave it to me here. uh, So thank you for that. And um, I've also finished Augustus by Anthony Everett. A young person gave me that at the show. Thank you for that. And um, Tales from the Baseball's... um, uh, Tales from Baseball... uh, From the Deadball it's called Tales from the Deadball Era, and it's by Mark Halfon, who has a middle initial in there too, S or F or something. In any case, uh, I just finished reading all of those, and these were all given to me by people because people ask me when they give me the books, do you read all the books everyone gives you? I don't read all of them because I got Beowulf a couple of weeks ago. And if I skipped it in high school, I'm skipping it now. I'm not reading Pilgrim's Progress or Beowulf or Silas Marner and I hope you're not listening Kathy Kinney gave me Silas Marner once and I have it somewhere on a shelf but I had never bloody read it if you want to give me Stendhal I'll have a go uh, but I haven't read that yet uh, in any case uh, thank you for all the books you give me uh, where do you keep them all don't you fucking worry about it um, <laughs> the, the art books I know I have a place for right away uh, but uh, the other ones I, I have a giant uh, library in my and uh, our house looks like Name of the Rose, which we're going to get to later tonight. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, the ninth configuration with Johnny Depp. There's just a fire of books at my house and Franklin Jell standing in the middle of it. Um, I really do appreciate all the books. One of the most um, uh, beautiful things about doing this show has been that I've been able to talk about books. I've been able to write a book and people have been giving me so many books. And so I've been hip to a million different authors. Uh, Including John Williams who wrote uh, Augustus, not the Augustus I was reading there, that was a biography of Augustus. It's a novel and epistolary. I was talking about that before, Butcher's Crossing and Stoner, and I'd never read him before. Um, And so many unbelievable books about civil rights, music, uh, um, history, feminism. Uh, art, uh, magic, everything you could possibly imagine and uh, it really warms my heart to see one that people are still into books uh, because Umberto Eco who we're going to get to a little bit later in the show said we live for books and uh, we do live for books and it it couldn't be more exciting to me. It's my favorite pastime aside from other things and
1: uh, (laughs) sometimes
0: you can do both at the same time and uh, also I'm on planes all the time and so I, I get a lot of re- uh, uh, Snoopy would say I get a lot of heavy reading then when I'm on planes no one remembers that cartoon uh, Sno- Snoopy used to do a character called Joe Cool and uh, he would sometimes be at the high school hanging out or whatever and then sometimes he'd be like have gigs and like there was one where whole series where Joe Cool was at the supermarket as a checkout guy Snoopy like I don't know why a dog was working at a supermarket and he'd go like oh carrots what not peas and then he goes oh man Magazine, and then looks over his shades and goes doing a little heavy reading tonight and then goes anyone who buys anything to read I go doing a little heavy reading that was the caption and I always I don't know why but I remembered it forever and ever um, Yeah. and then my other favorite Joe Cool moment he's hanging out next to the water fountain and I think Lucy walks up to him and goes hey Joe Cool what are you doing hanging out at school and he goes no wheels man <laughs> made myself hysterical and the books that Snoopy read were the, was it the six bunny ones or the five bunny oneies I can't remember, he read a series of books called bunny oneies and, uh, and one of them was the bunny oneies in their layover in Muncie, Indiana which is an unforgettable title in a cartoon strip Charles Schultz was hilarious and quite mentally ill and I loved him for that <laughs> <laughs> insanely successful I don't think he ever lived here always lived up in Northern California uh, in Santa Rosa and whatnot. Uh, in any case thank you for all the books you've given me uh, let's move on to this um, it's Black History Month and we've been very poor about our Black History this month and so much as we haven't really covered it too much but I wanted to talk a little bit about Mavis Staples now I've already told you the Mavis Staples story but I'll tell it again ever so briefly uh, we did a radio show in Scotland a couple years ago because I did this unbelievably dynamic documentary about On the Road by Jack Kerouac and it was the 50th anniversary so that was what five years ago and whatnot. and we were in London and we were doing this uh, Sunday morning radio show and they had on a guy who was covering um, uh, soccer matches between Serbia and Croatia where he said on other sides of the pitch they dug graves right to let the fans know where they could yeah 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 and uh, so he His was a tale that was quite interesting and then Mavis Staples was on and the Scottish guy who was hosting the show whose name escapes me says to Mavis Staples um you had an affair with Bob Dylan and Mavis Staples goes (laughs) and turns red right Jennifer is sitting next to her sister whose wig was slightly askew (laughs) this is Sunday morning so not everybody had time to prep and uh when Mavis Staples was rendered speechless when he said, so you had an affair with Bob Dylan, you're always going to marry him. And she, uh, 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 uh. And Jennifer turns to the sister and the sister goes, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I read an interview with the other day and they go, uh, so you're going to marry Bob Dylan? She's like, oh, Bobby. And I was like, yeah, that's how you deal with it now. <laughs> One can only think of the children of Mavis Staples and Bob Dylan and hope that they would have gotten her voice. <laughs> It was back in another lifetime one of toilet love. when black is weather of her chill what is <laughs> <laughs> it the a deputy walks in high now what is it yeah the sheriff rides a mouth but nothing really matters much it's doom alone that counts <laughs> <laughs> come in she said I'll give you a shelter from my style yeah, his voice is fantastic uh, She's on tour right now She wrote a book called Living on a High Note And there's a documentary out about her called Mavis And she's playing Coachella you guys uh, She's the only artist uh, that's that old Playing Coachella this year Jennifer found this quote for me from her from this week I've always tried to keep a young frame of mind I'm 76 years old but when I go shopping I don't look for clothes for old people Right now I have me some orange neon sneakers I don't deal with age um, Will you spin a little bit of that uh I know it's a staple singer song It's not off the new album I don't have the new album yet, but I wanted to go through a couple of the artists here in honor of Black History Month. Now, you know, the Staple Singers were very good friends with Dr. King, and on the new album. Oh, you can leave it that loud. Mm.
1: Mm. I know
0: it is. Right? I remember seeing them sing this on the Flip Wilson show. <laughs> And they always gathered around their father Purvis and the sister and her And then Pop was still alive then And sat on a stool in the middle with the guitar It says Hit me uh, Turn it down a little bit Uh M- Mavis Staples, uh, like I said, has got th- uh, the new album is all younger artists, and she sings their songs. And there's a song about Martin Luther King. And Nick Cave wrote a song, and uh, it's a really groovy younger artist. <laughs> really, Nick Cave's a younger artist to you? What do you belong to the Friars Club and shit? <laughs> Um, Mavis Staples uh, was uh, what did she say about Prince? I can't remember uh, she's in um, uh, Graffiti Bridge and she sings a song in it called Melody Cool and um, her voice is so protean I don't know how else to I, I wouldn't say she's a natural singer or anything demeaning like that I would just say the timbre of her voice is inescapable and uh, is the essence of American music right? Yeah. Fucking A. Eh. You're allowed to applaud for Mavis Staples uh, just turn it up for one second. right? There's always so many vocal ejaculations. That's what I love. Ah. Oh, oh. And then, Papa, play on it play on it. Uh, here, Let's spin to the next one here. Um, Aretha Franklin of course you saw at the concert that for uh, um, President Obama when she chucked her fucking full length stole on the floor and came on stage with a handbag. Yeah. And blew everyone's fucking mind. Uh, she's still alive and still going. I don't know if she's on tour but crank this one up just a little bit here. One of my promises was if I become president we're no longer having the national anthem before sporting events. We're simply going to vote on an Aretha Franklin song and sing it. Yeah. This is my choice for tonight. Turn it up a little bit.
1: the going.
0: Right? Come back to me.
1: That's
0: I Um I didn't give this song a fair shake uh, Maurice uh, White of the Earth, Wind, and Fire um, Passed into the heavens And is swirling around And you can see him uh, Vibrating in violet All through the night Every night And I gave him an obituary That I wasn't exactly overwhelmed, the uh, Over the whelmed by Or over the moon By whelmed Over the moon um, Will you spin that Earth, Wind, and Fire one and This time I'm going to give it a fair fucking airing uh, This one's off Fantasy And it's such a bitchin' song Right? You have to imagine that I'm dressed uh, as if I'm guarding the Wicked Witch and the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> right? <'Cause> they... <laughs> Although, they didn't do lots of choreography. Although the... the, the, the... <laughs>
1: uh,
0: also, I'm wearing a shirt, which he wouldn't have done. <laughs> Morris White would be naked to the waist. Leave it up. (laughs) This part's so boss. And then it gets (laughs) Afro-funky. And then uh, this one... (laughs) We played Gil Scott Heron on the show so many times, and you might have heard this one too many times, but I'm sure there's people in the room who've never heard Gil Scott Heron before, and I know there's a child listening in a blanket fort who has not slightest conception of who Gil Scott Heron was, so very briefly, he was a, um, a teacher, a professor, an author, an entertainer, a musician, and a soul star, and often, and a jazz star, often credited with inventing rap, which I don't know that invention is the right word, but he certainly perfected his own form of it. When he was a teenager, he went to see The Last Poets, who were a tremendous um, Afrocentric sort of spoken word musical group, and he told them that he wanted to have a band of his own one day, and they were like, good for you. Uh, Then, of course, he was such a genius that he took a year off of uh, college to write a novel. And he went to his dean. By the way, he was there on a full scholarship. They were paying for him to go to school. Uh, and he went to the dean and went, I want to take a year off. And the dean's like, yes, Gil? And he's like... I'm going to write a novel, and what can you say, right? He went, okay, take your year off, and he wrote it. And I'm going to say this, and I don't want anyone to freak out. This is the name of the book, but don't freak out. It's called The Nigger Factory, okay? Uh, I understand, you know, you understand why I told you not to freak out before. Uh, uh, In any case, uh, he wrote several novels, and then he wrote a book about his own life called The Last Holiday. And I just wanted to spin this, and this one goes out to uh, Bernie Sanders. (laughs) In some ways, it might be his most famous song. It's like second album, I think.
1: You will not be able to stay home, brother. <laughs> you will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on stag and skip out for beer during commercials because... Skag. Skag. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by and without commercial income. The
0: revolution will not show you pictures of Nixon's logo people, and living a child by John Mitchell, and Spiro Agnew, to all of our Agnew. <laughs> and Skag. The will and one last one, uh, just to start... So- To celebrate Back History Month Uh, They had the Grammys a couple of weeks ago And uh, I'm sure many of you watched it As I did uh, Stoned and with great trepidation (laughs) And it's always a mixed bag Uh, Although wildly entertaining Um, When Justin Bieber came out and sang his song And then he was wearing his little baseball hat And at the end um, Jennifer goes Oh my god He's going to bro-hug everyone in his band Which he did, he bro-hugged everyone in the band And um, I've tried to reassess him a thousand times And I've come up with nothing Uh, He's mildly talented And uh, possibly the douchiest human that's alive right now On earth, on earth Uh, uh, But Bruno Mars won uh, a Grammy for Uptown Funk, and Mark Ronson, who produced Amy Winehouse, and is a genius producer, uh, got up to get the award with him. And, you know, Bruno Mars, whatever, I dig it. I'm a little disappointed how many parody videos there have been of Uptown Funk done by white people. But, um, that part's a little daunting. But, um, Uh, Mark Ronson in his brilliance uh, turned when he got on stage before he said anything about the record and he didn't thank God or anything like that he turned and went that man over there is the king of funk George Clinton and talked about George Clinton so I want you to spin this record just for a second there. this was a giant hit when I was in high school and it was so exciting to drive to my crappy white high school in San Carlos and listen to it because we're like are they saying motherfucker (laughs) (laughs) this record's good (laughs) Right? (laughs) you can leave this on while we go through this one because Jennifer's been very busy uh, (laughs) uncovering the mystery of Antonin Scalia's (laughs) demise (laughs) Antonin Scalia was uh, a life form that sat on the Supreme Court (laughs) I know he's passed but wow (laughs) They kept talking about originalism and the original intent of the framers of the Constitution and his meticulous and uh, glorious writing, his wild evocations of a thousand different kinds of uh, judicial arguments. And having read a bunch of his decisions and having gone over his history as a judge and been reading about every obituary of his, I can only come up with the final summation that His misogyny, homophobia, and hatred of the poor are the overriding things for which he will be remembered. If originalist includes the word obstructionist, and if digging your heels into a century that never existed, and trying to evoke that century in every goddamn decision you made, and every dissent you wrote is what an originalist is, then he was an originalist. Uh, Because he took exception to any forward movement of civil rights for anyone except in the area of personal privacy. Yes, I've read all the goddamn fucking articles. Uh, (laughs) However, um, him supporting Citizens United and him supporting... sorry, uh, the, the hideous decision of Gore versus the state of Florida in 2000 are would have broken the credibility of the Supreme Court. Uh, we talked about it on the last episode. In any case, um, he died at a, a bizarre ranch in the middle of nowhere in Texas. <laughs> now this week it was revealed, first of all there was the pillow, turn this down just a little bit, first of all there was, in fact, uh, I think something ookier for this. <laughs> Since this is Scalia and he loved opera, <laughs> maybe a little magic flute because that's got all the (laughs) Mozart knew everything about secret societies (laughs) having grown up in Europe in the late 18th century and being friends with Franz Josef that's the spirit see wherever Antonin Scalia is he's giving us that wry smile turn that down a little bit there. Uh, so he went to this place, right? He's 79 years old in ill health. Now, the first story we heard two weeks ago was that, uh, or 10 days ago, whatnot, uh, was that he uh, had a pillow on his head. Then he didn't have a pillow on his head. Then he had a folded pillowcase on his head and three pillows under his head, a breathing apparatus that was not plugged in nor put together. And as Jennifer pointed out, what was the other thing, a toy, an implement, a... Uh, An exercise device that was next to the bed now I'm not gonna make any is it inference or implication here an inference let us not infer that the exercise device might have been worn inside one's person let us take leave of that notion and offer Antonin Scalia the same uh, largesse that he would have wanted us to offer him uh, uh, and, and say that, sure, he was exercising. He chain-smoked like few humans on earth. Right? He had a Keith Richardian fucking devotion to cigarettes. And he was 79 years old and not in great health. And he went all by himself without his U.S. Marshals, without his wife, with a buddy... Uh, to this weird place in the middle of nowhere in Texas for a hunting party. This was on the front page of the Washington Post today. And this headline will thrill and delight you. And all of this is due to Jennifer, who uh, last week I said was Robert Redford and uh, (laughs) and all the president's men. But this week I think she's the entire cast of Spotlight. Justice Scalia spent his last hours with members of the secretive society of elite hunters. So many questions come to mind. First of all, why? Why did he belong to a secret society of elite hunters? He's a Supreme Court justice. Go fishing! He went duck hunting with, uh, with Dick Cheney in 2004, if you recall, uh, right after having to look at a case that was brought before the court that had Dick Cheney uh, involved in it as, as far as influence peddling and arms sales and whatnot. I think you can refer back to this book here. In fact, is Dick Cheney in this book? He might be in one of the later chapters. Oh, there's Karl Rove. There's John Edwards. Yeah. It gets Colin Powell. Look at that. George W. John Yu. Oh, John you Ken Lay, we miss Ken Lay. He died too early. Scooter Libby, oh. The scoot monkey. My only favorite moment of the W administration, of eight years of terror, horror, and, and, and the destruction of the world, and the destruction of New Orleans, and millions of people dying, and the economy failing all over the globe, was the fact that at the very end, Dick Cheney came to W and said, I want you to pardon Scooter Libby. And W went, mm-mm. <laughs> no presidential pardon for Scooter Libby I haven't read the book yet but I'm sure I'll thrill to that part later and I thought at that point you finally decided to grow a dick in year 8 and stand up to Cheney and go you know what I'm not pardoning your fucking asshole friend and why did you ruin Valerie Plame's career just because her fucking husband wrote some shit about you that you didn't like oh yeah it's called hardball and I don't mean Chris Matthews hardball after Scalia's by the way I wonder if Chris Hard uh, Matthews could take a, a paid you know leave of absence after this I don't know if anyone watches MSNBC but uh, wow well. <laughs> <laughs> we're here in Nevada and a on a Ted Cruz.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> not since Tim Russert have I wanted someone to retire as much as I want you to retire yeah, Tim Ruster took the big retirement, but fucking Chris Matthews needs to retire. Just go to a ranch and yell at your dogs. I'm sure the dogs won't think it's imperceptive and poorly formed, because I do, but the dogs will be like, whoo? That sounds good. He kissed Bush's ass for eight fucking years and then when Obama ran, remember he said he got a tingle down his leg and shit? Ugh. I saw him interview Lewis Black who's a, a friend of mine and a very funny political comedian and it was a, during the Republican Convention in um, 2004 whatever the fuck it was and, uh, and Lewis is on the street with him and Chris Matthews goes, oh Lewis, you're cocked! And Lewis goes, yeah, you know blah blah blah. And uh, Matthews goes, yeah I bet you're laughing all the way to the bank! It's like this isn't an interview this is being cornered by an asshole and it shouldn't be on TV it should be in a bar because then you could fucking punch him in the balls really Chris Matthews is your biggest villain no I have bigger ones we'll aim higher after Scalia's death February 13th The names of 35 other guests At the remote resort Along with the details About Scalia's connection To the hunters Have remained largely unknown That's up to today uh, A review of public records Shows some of the men Who were with Scalia At the ranch Are connected through The international order Of St. Hubertus Whose members gather Yeah <laughs> Only this tattoo
1: <laughs> And
0: this retinal implant are the ways that you shall know that I am an accorded member of the Order of St.
1: Hubertus.
0: (laughs) Members of the worldwide male-only society wear dark green robes emblazoned with a large cross and the motto... (laughs) This is in the Washington Post this morning yes really why, why do young people never believe anything really yeah crack a fucking phone you guys that thing you carry around with you all day that you masturbate to and stuff it's full of information <laughs> emblazoned with a large cross and the motto Deum Diligite Animalia Diligentes which means honoring God by honoring his creatures let's go back <laughs> They're a secretive society of elite hunters and they honor God by honoring his creatures, by shooting them. (laughs) According to the group's website, some hold titles such as Grand Master, yeah, broken glass everywhere. (laughs) People pissing on the streets, you know they just don't care. Don't push me because I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. <laughs> it's like a jungle sometimes, and make wonder how they keep on going under. <laughs> if only Scalia had been in the Furious Five. <laughs> and not in the Definitive Nine. Fire and Grand Knight Officer. The order's name is in honor of Hubert, the patron saint of hunters and fishermen. Chibolo Creek Ranch owner John Dexter, and finally, we talked about it last week, the friend that he flew out with, not his wife, on Valentine's Day, seventy nine years old, in poor health, flew out with a friend in a private jet. C. Allen Foster, a prominent Washington lawyer who traveled to the ranch by private plane, hold leadership positions within the order. It is unclear what, comma, if any, comma, official association Scalia had with the group. Well, he took a free plane ride out for a week-long elite hunters conference and after he perished, the next day everyone fucked off in private planes. So, what connection, if any, is a very open-ended fucking sentence. <laughs> Why did he belong to a male-only order that people who wore dark green robes that had Latin that said "Honoring God and His Creatures" on it? You know what? I like baseball. <laughs> and on a weekend, there's people in this room who've been to ball games with me. On a weekend, I'll go to a ball game, whatnot. Um, some people, uh, uh, some people like to party. People like us, we gotta work. Uh, Some people have different interests. Some people enjoy philately or numismatism. Uh, Some people are lepidopterists. Uh, uh, There's every manner of hobby. Maybe this was just one of his predilections. There's nothing I can add to your observation. Blah, 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 blah. I'm aware of no connection between the organization and Justice Scalia, except that he flew out to be with 35 members of an elite organization of rich people who were hunting at a place 150 miles south of El Paso an attorney for the Scalia family did not respond to requests two other private planes that landed on the ranch are linked to two men who have held leadership positions with the Texas chapter of the order yeah we believe in honoring God and those creatures we're from the Texas branch damn diligite and amalia Diligente. we're going to go to Whataburger after if y'all want to come The international order. Will you get me one while you're there? <laughs> of St. according to its website, is a true knightly order in the historical tradition. In 1695, Count Franz Anton von Spork founded the Society in Bohemia, which is in modern-day Czech Republic. The group's Grand Master is His Imperial Highness Isvan von Habsburg Lothringen, Archduke of Austria. The next gathering for the Odensbrothers and guests is an investiture March 10th in Charleston, South Carolina. The Society's U.S. chapter launched in 66 at the Bohemian Club in San Francisco, which is associated with the all-male Bohemian Grove, one of the most well-known secret societies in the country. There's a sentence well-known secret society <laughs> if it's a secret society by its very nature it wouldn't be well known however being from San Francisco the Bohemian Club has a fuck-off fucking building in San Francisco right downtown and I had a college professor and um, he was uh, he taught theater And he was the one, he was in the Bohemian Grove Club, but he, of course, he wasn't a world leader, a mover, a shaker. This is in the early 80s, so it would have been Valerie Giscard de Stang and uh, uh, George Schultz and uh, uh, Casper Weinberger and Zbigniew Brzezinski and all those types, right? Like the real early uh, 80s, late 70s, the people who owned Bechtel and... And foreign leaders from uh, uh, um, uh, what was it, not Helmut Kohl, uh, uh, whoever was prime minister of Germany then, you know, th- this is who goes to this place, movers and shakers. They're allowed to bring their prostitutes in and whatnot. They act like children when they're there. They drink. By God, I'm going to be killed for this episode. <laughs> if you find me. With one of those, like, uh, uh, jellos that you buy at the supermarket in a six-pack that has the different flavors, orange and cherry and whatnot, if you find me with one of those stuffed in my mouth and a stuffed animal up my ass in, like, two days' time, please call the authorities. I don't actually roll that way. (laughs) They make it look like an accident. Anyway... Mr. Terrell used to go and he was there because he was a theater person at San Francisco State he would uh, uh, put on their shows right and they have a thing called the morning of death or the the morning the passing of death uh, I can't remember what it's called they have this big ceremony with an owl and whatnot and they all get fucking loaded right and smoke cigars and shit and talk about world affairs these are people who are on the trilateral commission Uh, if you're really crazy they're in the Illuminati and uh, yeah right and uh, if you're really wild they're in the Knights Templar and um, if you're on Buddha Echo they're in the Knights Templar Templar Uh, and they all meet together and they have prostitutes in those days uh, I asked a guy who I met recently who I'm not going to divulge who goes there um and he told me that I said they used to have a bank of payphones right outside the perimeter. So you could you were ushered in and you weren't allowed in unless you were one of them uh, or a guest. And uh, then you had to go outside. Thank you so much, Ryan. They had to go outside and use the payphones phones uh, to call people. But now I think they're allowed to bring phones, but I don't know if you can use them inside. Anyway, they stay in little cabins that have cutesy pie names, you know, like old Lonesome Pine and shit like that. And they urinate outside. So you're urinating outside the, like Silvio Berlusconi is next to you, right? And you can see the bunga bunga marks on his horrible triopic member <laughs> That's what goes on at the Bohemian Grove. And that's where this fucking thing, the Order of St. Hubertus, was founded. Now, a friend of mine told me who was a musician who did a gig at the Bohemian Grove. They will bring up artists and they let them come in and they do the gig. That he met Nixon there and that he said, Can we get a picture with you, Mr. President? And Nixon went, Yes, I'd like that. Yes, I'll take a picture. And he goes, I feel uncomfortable. Can I have an instrument? So they handed him a saxophone. So he says, He claimed to me that he has a picture of him with Nixon and three other cats in his band and Nixon's holding a sack. And I'm hoping it's like David Bowie on the album Hunky Dory or whatever. Uh, From Houston, Scalia and Foster chartered a plan without the marshals. He has a retinue of marshals, Scalia, that go with him to ensure his safety because he's a Supreme Court justice, or was, um, and that he declined the marshals. You see what happened there. uh, To Cibola Creek Ranch airstrip. In a statement after he died, the U.S. Marshals Service said Scalia had declined a security detail while at the ranch. The friend... Louisiana-born Foster is a lawyer with the Washington firm Whiteford, Taylor, and Preston. Um, That'll give you a clue. There's no Jews. (laughs) He's also known for his passion for hunting and is a former spokesman for the hunting group Safari Club. In 2006, Foster was featured in The Post when he celebrated his 65th birthday with a six-day celebration in the Czech Republic. He flew his family and 40 Washington friends to stay in Moravia's Chovis, a Baroque castle and hunting park. The birthday bash included tours of the Czech countryside, wine tasting, wild boar and wild sheep hunts, classic dance instruction, and a masked costume ball. And Tom Cruise showed up there. And Sidney Pollock was there. <laughs> bum, 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 bum. If anyone saw Eyes Wide Shut, you know what I'm talking about here. A masked costume ball. How baroque are your fucking tastes, Mr. Foster? A secretary at Foster's law firm said he's traveling in Argentina. <sighs> coincidence the Supreme Court Justice that he was on holiday with who perished in a very mysterious way at the age of 79 in a ranch remotely located in the south of Texas with a group of weirdo elite millionaire hunter gatherers who have fucking dark green robes on has fucked off to Argentina this week remember in the old movies they go don't leave town we need you for questioning apparently Mr. Foster can leave town The film's director of marketing, Mendy Mosher, okay, there's one Jew, said Foster was traveling and she would try to contact him. It's so hard to contact people in this day and age. I was going to send a telex. This one's awesome. A woman answering the phone associated with Foster hung up when asked for comment simple clerical error. She thought it was at and calling. Plane owned by Wallace Happy Rogers III. That's the thing about fascists. They always have funny nicknames. I bet Hitler's friends called him Dolphy the Nolphy or whatever. You know what I mean? I bet Mussolini's friends called him Benny the Biggie. Pol Pot was known as Pot of Noodles to his buddies (laughs) Happy Rogers
1: III
0: no one's happy that long and the company of A.J. Lewis III by the way they're all the third so that'll give you an idea of the kind of landed white people pilgrims fucking you know uh, back bay left from San Antonio and arrived at the ranch the planes departed 30 minutes after apart February 14th he died on the 13th by the way uh, Rogers owns Buckhorn Saloon and Museum in San Antonio. He donated 65000 to Republican candidates. Lewis is the owner of a restaurant supplier company. He's given 3500 five hundred. Rogers and Lewis served as prior officers in the Texas chapter of the International Order of St. Ubertus, according to Texas business records. In other words, they were not allowed to talk to anybody, so they had to go to the Texas... Uh, business records, the reporters at the Washington Post. Rogers spoke to a Post reporter briefly on the phone and confirmed he was at the ranch the weekend. He declined to comment further. Lewis did not respond. The Presidio County Sheriff's Office released an incident report to the Post on Tuesday that revealed Foster's name as Scalia's traveling companion. Poindexter and Foster told the sheriff Scalia had traveled to Texas before to go hunting. Poindexter told the sheriff they had supper and talked for a while. <coughs> Scalia said he was tired of going to his room for the night. The sheriff wrote in his report, well, sure. After a day of hunting and wearing green robes? Dan Brown wouldn't have written this. Because it's too fucking unlikely. when Scalia didn't show up for breakfast Poindexter knocked on his door always the owner of a giant private resort comes to your door in the morning never a maid never anyone who works there the owner walks right up and by the way it's way spread out so he had to take a fucking truck ride over to where Scalia was Antonine you okay when I left you last night you had a giant knot around your Antonine the post said the law enforcement officials they had no knowledge of the international order of Saint who or its connection to. of course they did what are they going to say they're the law submissions and discussion policy from Houston they charted a plane friend Louisiana blah, blah, blah. he was featured in the post we read that part uh, we've had Happy Rogers uh, let's see here uh And uh, that's where it stands right now. I can't remember the line you had earlier, Jennifer, but it was hilarious. It was like, it went from just good-natured Opus Day fun to a fucking black mass, okay? (laughs) This shit is crazy. I mean... They're talking about who's going to replace him on the Supreme Court, and they're talking about the Republicans and McConnell pr- promising to block a, a, any nomination for a year. You know who we should nominate for the fucking Supreme Court? Torquemada. Okay? Because that's the only person who can take Scalia's place. That's more homophobic, misogynistic, and hates the poor more uh, than Antonine Scalia. And has probably got fucking anal Catholic guilt beats up his ass in the shape of different demons' heads. So then when he pulls them out, there's a different exquisite pain for each one. I'm not saying Scalia I'm saying Torquemada. Don't phone me, don't write me, don't stop the show, and don't assassinate me this week when I'm at fucking Fatburger trying to get my shit together. I mean, wow. Let me ask you this. At this ranch, did they kill a virgin and bury her in the fucking in the foundation of the building. As my wife pointed out to me, Christopher Wren supposedly killed a girl and threw in the bottom of one of his famous churches in London, right? Like, this uh, this is... Uh, If you look on our dollar bill, you'll see a weird pyramid with a glowing eye floating over the top of it. No one has ever explained why this is on our money. When you're a child, you look at it and you're like everyone who belonged to the founding fathers including Mr. Cameron I presume uh, uh, was a member of the Masonic Order or some bizarre temple or some Saint Hubertus well we know that started in 66 at the Bohemian Grove but some bizarre order of saints or something and they always went through some bizarre rituals you keep repeating the word bizarre how do you mean? I mean people would meet in a dark room there'd be a girl on a fucking table candles all around and they would go through this elaborate ceremony where they would try to pass into the next world and I'm George Washington Washington did it. Thomas Jefferson did it. Greg, your show is starting to sound like an AM radio show. (laughs) (laughs) Here's a dollar right here. Uh, Annuit, I can't read it because my eyes are too bad. Nurus ordo seclorum. And why are we e pluribus unum, one out of many? (laughs) Right? <laughs> This is never explained to you. It should be self-explanatory. The Latin on our money should be fucking self-explanatory. The dollar bill on the back has the eagle, right, holding the imperial Roman eagle, holding uh, uh, a bunch of arrows in one hand and a laurel uh, in the other, right? Glory, victory. Uh, That's an evident symbol for everybody. Everybody understands that after 2,000 years, that the imperial majesty of America is a reflection of Rome, as was Nazi Germany, as was Russia, as was... England uses the lion. But... uh, Uh, France and every other country Germany has the two-headed fucking weirdo eagle right like we've all used the eagle over and over again last night we were watching the um, uh, I almost called it the hometown follies the uh, (laughs) the town meeting they called it on CNN the town meeting uh, uh, with uh, Hillary and and, uh, Bernie and uh, behind them on either side if you watched it at all last night there were giant eagles and one of them was eating a snake so every once in a while there'd be a shot of Bernie Sanders or Hillary and behind them in the background an enormous tu- tube painted on it, an eagle holding the-, the arrows and eating a snake. A snake was in its mouth and I'm like, so now we're not only America, we're the Aztecs as well. We're taking on every ancient culture and their bizarre mysticism. I'm going to do some bloodletting later through my scrotal sack and if anyone wants to join me in the men's room here because there's a beautiful urinal in this men's room... Quetzalcoatl must be fed. <laughs> it, or is it that you wish the crops to fail? <laughs> It is said, it is rumored, it is whispered in the corridors of power. Uh, it was well known that Antonine Scalia was a member of Opus Dei, and uh, they're a Catholic order, this and that, and that they, uh, um, not flagellation, what do they call it? Self abnegation, self mortification, uh, where you wear perhaps a, a, a too tight of a, an amulet or a bracelet around a, a particular limb or, or, or area and uh, that, that is a, a feeling that you have all day when you walk around so that you can remember the pain that Jesus endured on the cross and that you're inflicting on humanity and um, <laughs> I'm not saying I'm just saying Uh, this weird shit never ends and if you don't think there's fucking rooms where men meet, and by the way, all men organization all men organization, if you think women are equal in any way, and uh, I know that uh, for a lot of the young men in America, they're having a lot of trouble with Hillary because it's like listening to your mother and, uh, thank you, uh Uh, that all these organizations are men and that uh, the Skull and Bone Society, right, that uh, uh, all those Ivy League schools and that almost all of our presidents, almost all, uh, go to Harvard and Princeton. In fact, presidents from almost every country go to Harvard and Princeton. It's hard to find someone who didn't go to Harvard and Princeton that's running for national office and and jazz like that. Uh, 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 Still conduct these bizarre ceremonies that go back for thousands of years. Uh, Certainly our founding fathers believed in all of this heart and fucking soul. Otherwise, the money wouldn't be so weird and inexplicable. And have you guys go quiet during the middle of my fucking brilliant comedy show? <laughs> you can go to any other country in the world, and there's never a pyramid with a floating eyeball on top of it. Not even in Egypt.
1: <laughs>
0: These fuckers are Rosicrucians at the least. Egypt, wow, Egypt. Uh, 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 uh. Uh, a little bit boring a little bit preachy like Donny Osmond oh no let's go to this first and then we'll go back to that Uh, the album's out of course in the ballpark the book is out the smartest book in the world Uh, we'll be here tonight and then we're at the San Jose Improv that'll already be over Uh, the comedy works in Denver March 2nd through 5th Uh, the podcast is on the 2nd on the Wednesday Uh, Denver has so many things to see and do particularly recreational marijuana dispensaries (laughs) Uh, there's also lots of other things to see and do there, like uh, recreational marijuana, this No, no, there's a, there's a museum of art. It's beautiful. Denver's a nice place. It's good fun. It really is. It's pretty groovy. Uh, on the 9th uh, of March, over at the Cine Family, we'll be showing The Times of Harvey Milk. They're doing a fantastic outsider 80s independent film thing uh, the month of March at the Cine Family, and they're going to show... Errol Morris, The Thin Blue Line, and uh, oh golly, every bloody rock and roll film from the 80s, uh, you know, Penelope Spirits, whatnot, uh, Jim Jarmusch, they're showing two or three Jim Jarmusch movies, and um, uh, we, we ended up with the, the Times of Harvey Milk, which is a wonderful documentary uh, about the supervisor who was assassinated in San Francisco um, some in, the, in the late 70s when I was a teenager, and uh, along with George Moscone. It's a tragic story, but one of triumph as well, because since we're in West Hollywood here, it's pertinent, uh, it's pertinent at any time, but it's particularly pertinent being here in West Hollywood because the LGBT community now has such a voice and has gained so many rights and that Harvey Milk was the first elected official in the state of California. There were some on the East Coast that preceded him that was openly gay and uh, was all for coming out all the times. So he was a man of immense courage and someone uh, that I admire greatly. And when we were at Grace Cathedral in San Francisco a year or two ago, Jennifer and I, we went to the gift shop there and they have all the saints and whatnot and they had one of Harvey Milk done up as a saint in a little triptych which we keep over our refrigerator of St. Harvey Milk yeah Um, he was a beautiful person and uh, uh, as you know beautiful people are often assassinated where people like Dick Cheney just roll on baby (laughs) and I don't advocate assassination it makes martyrs Uh, the 10th through the 12th will be the Kansas City Improv Uh, And my understanding is they've got some crazy little women there and I'm going to get me one Uh, the 10th is the podcast at Kansas City I have no idea how that's going to go then you'll find me at the Negro League Museum the rest of the weekend uh, where I'll be uh, hobnobbing uh, and uh, otherwise uh, prognosticating with my fellow wizards uh, then the 18th, we'll be in Glasgow for our Scottish friends. We'll be at the Glasgow Comedy Festival on the 18th of the Scott cast. The 19th, we'll be doing stand up at the Glasgow Comedy Festival. Please come and visit me there. I know the people in Glasgow are like, You always play Adenbarna, I don't play Glasgow with the fucking money here. And um, so I'm coming. Hold on, I'm coming, as Sam and Dave said. Uh, Then we'll be in Antwerp on the 22nd. uh, The Bandenbar uh, on the 24th in Stockholm. So you can go to greatgroups.com and find all these dates. Then we've just added one. We're going to be in Burbank for our friends in the valley. Uh, I don't go there often, but when I do, I stop at Ikea. And the flappers is quite close to the Ikea in Burbank and right around the corner from an In-N-Out burger, so there's plenty to do. Um, You're supposed to not be allowed to smoke, I think, is it cigarettes in the city of Burbank, which I find hilarious. You can't do that as a municipality, can you? Whatever. We'll be at Flappers in Burbank on the 3rd at 7 o'clock, quite early, but it's a Sunday night. Uh, And then the 15th, we'll be back at Nerd Melt, the comic book store up on Sunset. Uh, Why aren't you playing here in April? They don't have any dates. We're going to try for May. Uh, The 7th of May will be in Oklahoma City doing Uh, stand-up. The 13th will be back in New York City at Brooklyn, at the Bell House there. Um, Also, I believe um, Scott Ackerman's doing a live comedy Bang Bang show in New York, so please, please eschew his show and come to mine. Um, I'm joking. I've known Scott for 100 years, uh, uh, before he sold out, and uh, it was... uh, You know, when he cared about being funny, and... and, uh, No, no, seriously. You know, before Reggie Watts left and the whole thing went to shit, uh, I really liked it. I'm being a dick, you guys. You can't be sarcastic in Hollywood. There's just no being sarcastic. (laughs) Everyone takes you seriously. I adore him. Um, I'm excited to be in town at the same time as Scott Ackerman, and uh, I'm thrilled that um, uh, we're there together. And I think they're going to add a second show and whatnot. I will be there on Friday the 13th at the Bell House in Brooklyn. And, uh, and please don't anybody tweet Poop said Scott Ackerman sold out and shit. Don't be a fucking douchewad. <laughs> Have a sense of humor. I would say it to Scott to his face because he has a sense of humor, unlike a lot of you here tonight. <laughs> I mean, the show's still good. <laughs> We'll be in Hey on Y in uh, June we'll be at the Hay Festival the 4th and 5th the 4th is the podcast the 5th the book event we're doing in the morning I believe there then on the 8th of June we'll be at uh, Shakespeare and Company in Paris doing a more a breakfast podcast uh, yeah uh, Jennifer said today uh, I told them it's a boozy late night show and I said well we'll do a, a jacked up morning croissant show yeah. a couple of rails and a coffee and I'm ready to go <laughs> Then we'll be in Tacoma, uh, which is a city in Washington. Uh, Washington is a state that has recreational marijuana. So we'll be there from the 16th to the 18th. The podcast is on the 16th. And then back in our beloved San Francisco, July 28th through the 30th. Uh, I think the podcast is the 28th there. (coughs) There you are. Thank you very much for that. Oh, golly, we've got to start the show. I have two extraordinarily long obituaries to get through, but here we go. Uh, a little bit of boring and a little bit of preachy, as Donnie and Marie said. I'm a little bit boring, and I'm a little bit preachy. Uh, Jennifer gave me this today. It's from Louisiana, the New Orleans paper. Louisiana court order may shut all but one abortion clinic by Laurel Brubaker-Calkins. A New Orleans appeal court order may face the closure of all but one abortion clinic in Louisiana unless the U.S. Supreme Court intervenes. The U.S. Supreme Court that is now deadlocked at four versus four. But Anthony uh, Kennedy is a swing vote. Anthony Kennedy almost always votes conservative. And one thing Anthony Kennedy has proved over the years when Roe v. Wade came in front of the court was that he detests women. And uh, what do you mean by that? I mean he votes against Roe v. Wade. If you're voting against a woman's right to choose, if you're voting against women's health care, if you're a Republican candidate for president, then there's only one thing you all have in common, and that's that you don't care what happens to women. You want them to suffer. Is there another way to put it? Uh, Couldn't you put it another way that it's a moral decision that they're making? Well, why are they making it on behalf of women? Um, women should be autonomous. Uh, to to remove to un, to strip a woman of her dignity and say something like "you're only voting for her because she's a woman," or to strip a woman of her dignity and say "you're not um, uh, coherent enough to make your own decisions about your own health care or about your own pregnancy or about your own." Um, a birth control is to remove agency, right? Agency meaning uh, your ability to make decisions on your own behalf, right? As an adult human taxpaying fucking entity in this country. And so, everyone who tries to restrict that in my mind has nothing else on their agenda. You can talk about morality all you like. If you were really moral, you'd be in the street right now protesting that we fucking predator drone people and that we bombed, is it two or three uh, Doctors Without Borders or hospitals in the last year? You'd be real upset. As Donald Trump, who, has, who runs between uh, uh, moments of insane uh, 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 Goebbels fascism, and, and then sometimes he sounds like uh, uh, Noam Chomsky. I mean, <laughs> on any given day, you never know what you're going to get. Mostly racism and misogyny from Trump. But every once in a while, like when uh, uh, they interviewed him about Putin, remember he was so happy that Putin endorsed him? The dictator of Russia? <laughs> and the guy said but it's Vladimir Putin he kills people and Donald Trump went on television we kill people every day now that's something Noam Chomsky would fucking say and then uh, what was it we're gonna bomb the shit out of ISIS that's not a plan that's your uncle at the Thanksgiving dinner And then, uh, a a couple of weeks ago, at the debate, he said George Bush was responsible for 9-11 and that the invasion of Iraq was a disaster. He said that at a Republican fucking debate. And everyone went, (laughs) It's amazing to me. Also, Jennifer told me today his wife, Melania, gave uh, Hillary a bunch of money when she ran for Senate in 2006. (laughs) I don't know why he's so against immigrants when he marries one regularly. <laughs> and why are they called immigrants? Why, why are you an immigrant if you only arrived recently? My family came from another country. Did anyone's family come from America? Do we have any Native Americans here tonight? Well, then fuck you. <laughs> Everybody came over on a boat or a plane or whatever the fuck. This whole immigrant thing really rubs me the fucking... In any case, uh, what I'm getting at here is that Not only uh, is a woman's right to choose imperiled, um, the Supreme Court is going to hear a couple of decisions, which we'll get to in a second here. And at four and four, there's a slight, slight, slight chance they might adjudicate four women. But the reality is they're going to go four to four and slam these court decisions back down to the lower court, where it'll all end up in a shitstorm. The imperativeness of Obama nominating someone, not just nominating someone or anyone or a particular person, to the Supreme Court, a judge or a lawyer or an attorney general, whoever it may be. But I think it's even more imperative and I, uh, uh, that they nominate a person of color and even more importantly, a woman to the Supreme Court. As Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, I've said it on the show before, they asked her how many women would be too many women on the Supreme Court and she said, ask me again when all nine are fucking women. Yeah. Your applause on this is very disappointing. (laughs) You don't have to cheer. You don't have to cheer for shit I say. I know I'm preaching to the choir here. But misogyny, I find, is a refuge for a lot of people that I uh, had a lot of respect for and do have respect for. But misogyny seems to be an overarching, overriding, all-encompassing bigotry that men can't shake and that a lot of women can't shake, too. A lot of people were willing to vote for uh, Barack Obama for president and get right up in my grill and tell me why I shouldn't vote for Hillary in 2008. Get right up in my fucking grill and tell me why I shouldn't vote for a person who'd been senator and fucking first lady, why I should vote for a one term half term fucking senator from Illinois, the most corrupt state in the fucking Union, and why Hillary was a bitch and corrupt and the narrative that 's gone on for twenty five years are the same people that I find now telling me that I must vote. For Bernie Sanders When I want to be autonomous And vote for whoever I wish I've said it a million times on the show And you know where I'm fucking coming from Vote for whoever you like I don't tell people who to vote for I tell you where I'm coming from on this But I detest misogyny In every fucking form But she's, I have all these reasons Why I should be misogynist Oh hooray <laughs> And don't give me Then why didn't you vote for Carly Fiorina Really? Then why didn't you vote for Ben fucking Carson if we're gonna split fucking gender and race hairs here if we're gonna run that shit argument on me I've never called Carly Fiorina or Sarah Palin any horrible pejorative names or said get in the kitchen or make me a sandwich or suck my dick or any of that shit that I'm hearing all the fucking time now every fucking day uh, on the interweb and everywhere and it doesn't behoove us if we're all supposed to be moving forward on one big happy family liberal fucking progressive team here to have this kind of hideous uh Uh, and misogyny, quite frankly. Um, Vote for who you're going to vote for. Do what you're going to do. Think for yourself, and I won't be there for you, as George Harrison said, but um, don't bring that shit into it. And and, and then don't bring me the other argument either of uh, um, uh, uh, she's an evil politician because she took money. All politicians took money. Um, If you think Bernie doesn't take money from people, you're out of your goddamn mind. I mean for real uh, is he morally superior to other people? He's as moral. Okay? You know what I mean? We're not voting for like the vestal virgins here you guys. <laughs> We're voting for president of the United States, which next to dictator of Russia is one of the most hardball positions you can fight for. That means you sucked a lot of dicks on your way there. You said yes to a lot of fucking icky people. You dropped a lot of fucking bombs on people. That's what presidents do. I don't want to burst your fucking pretty balloon here and that you think there's going to be some new world where everything's free and there's pony rides and shit. (laughs) The world changes incrementally. But what about wanting a revolution? What about wanting to be idealistic? I'm as idealistic as anyone else. You've listened to the fucking show. I'm insane with it. I don't want the world to be the way it is at all in any fucking way. I really don't. I want everything to be beautiful. This is how insane I am. I don't think there should be war. But there fucking is war. And it carries on. And there's lots of people who make profits of it. Many of whom were meeting at a ranch. LAUGHTER I'm not asking you to not like the person you don't, or to like the person you don't like. I'm not asking you to change your mind. I'm simply asking you to understand that misogyny is the most horrible thing in the world. How do you mean, Malala, or, or, or as Jeb Bush knew, or one of Obama's daughters, Malala, <laughs> was shot in the eye by a man because she wanted to learn. Women are routinely raped, disappeared, killed, shot by their boyfriends, husbands, partners the police Um, women do all the work in the world and they do not receive equal pay women are skipped over, women do not star in movies, women do not get the same money men get, women are not represented on television, after the age of 45 women disappear almost completely from the narrative of America, the media and the world, that's what I'm talking about, you're all going to be older one day, I detest the term old lady as a pejorative because old ladies raise the world and know fucking everything that's going on and do all the goddamn work and get none of the fucking credit. And I speak as a white, bloviating guy who's had a woman behind me the whole time who has informed me of all of these things and let me know of the selfish piece of shit that I fucking am. And I don't mean that in a bad way. This is what evolution is. This is what evolution is. Um, The first... A uh, 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 minority on the Supreme Court was uh, Thurgood Marshall right and uh, but he was a black man not a woman the first woman on the Supreme Court was put on the Supreme Court by Ronald Reagan so there you go na 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 nah, nah. <laughs> but I didn't agree with what she thought fuck you
1: <laughs>
0: suck it up as Antonine Scalia so often said get over it um not everybody agrees with you, and not everybody thinks the way you do. Um, I'm willing to accept that, and I'm, but I'm not willing to accept misogyny and racism. I, I, I'm really not. Um, why were you putting, pointing that out? Oh, I was pointing it out for this reason. The first uh, minority on the Supreme Court was a man. The first minority uh, president uh, was a, a black man, not a woman. Not a woman on the Supreme Court, not a woman in the presidency. Hillary Clinton was the third woman secretary of state she was the first first lady to hold elected office she was the first woman senator from new york doesn't it seem a little late in the game that all this should be happening whether you like her or not grant me that Shouldn't New York have had a woman senator before that? California's had two women senators for 20 years. Barbara Boxer and Dianne Feinstein are both from my hometown. They were uh, mayor of San Francisco and a congresswoman from my district that I lived in when I lived in San Francisco. Now they've been in the Senate for a long time. They're August with white hair, right? Um, why does it take so long is what I'm getting at. And when people were fighting for civil rights, uh, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, whoever you want to think of, Ralph Abernathy, all the women that were involved in the civil rights movement, Florence Kennedy, uh, 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 they were told to wait again and again and again. We'll get there in the end. We'll get there. There'll they'll be room for you at the table one day. Why should women have to wait a goddamn second longer? Why was gay marriage uh, uh, approved before abortion was protected in every goddamn state? And I'm not making, I'm not making a, a value judgment that, oh, gays shouldn't have got gay marriage. Obviously they should have. But state by state, women's uh, abortion rights have been eroded. There's been hundreds and hundreds of state uh, um, you know, legislatures that are violently anti-women. And that shit goes on and on and on and on. There's a whole bunch of states with one clinic left in them. That is a state of affairs that I cannot abide. And what I don't want to hear from any candidate is that women's issues are take second seat or take second place or aren't as important as the economy or anything like that. Uh, Women's issues are the economy. The fact that women aren't paid as much as men should tell you everything about what the economy is about. The fact that there's lots of women who work at home or take care of loved ones or lots of other things that don't get paid and don't get any credit and don't have any health insurance and don't have any recourse. Um, Just because you're a man and you're privileged, occasionally you have to put your dick down for a second. and think about how other people fucking live. Are you a perfect human who's trying to instruct us how we should live our lives? Absolutely not. I'm as flawed a white person as he said on his third vodka as any other. I just want to hip you to the jive. You heard me. Word. Uh, Clinic supporters say they'll immediately ask the U.S. Supreme Court to step in and keep the facilities open. The Supreme Court clash over the Texas law Which also requires doctors to have admitting privileges at a local hospital. That's an unnecessary regulation that they chucked in to make sure that they couldn't have these clinics. We'll help determine the fate of more than 200 abortion restrictions enacted by states since a Republican-led push began in 2011. The court will probably rule in June in the midst of the presidential campaign. The uh, appeals courts accepted Louisiana's claim the new limits don't create significant obstacles to most women seeking to end pregnancies. So what's not enough of an obstacle? Antonin Scalia, by the way, was down with this. The voter registration, excuse me, the voter registration laws, the voter rights laws. All voter rights laws, by the way, are to restrict voters' rights. There hasn't, if they'd wanted to uphold, uh, they would have kept the voter rights laws that we had in that were voted in in '65 instead of stripping them. Um, vote, there is no such thing as voter fraud in this country, and there's no such thing as women that are baby killers. Um, any woman that does whatever she wants with her body is a fucking hero to me Uh, and that these are the kind of laws that are uh, horribly destructive in a a modern society the appeals yeah a man coughed and as I saw Pearl Bailey when I was a child I was probably 13 or 14 Pearl Bailey was a black performer and a great singer and she did an all black version of Hello Dolly and uh, when I saw her she was talking about something very serious and she started talking about some issues and shit and a guy went like this in the audience <clears throat> and she went oh I love that that's a man crying <sighs> fewer than 10% of women wouldn't have access to abortions oh wasn't that great what if fewer than 10% of the men couldn't get fucking boner pills or a gun think that law would fucking stand in Louisiana no, it wouldn't fucking stand. The lower code determined 44 at 5 to 90. Blah, 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 blah. Today's ruling thrusts Louisiana into reproductive health crisis. There we go. Uh, ever so briefly, and then we're, we're not going to have time for everybody. But There you are. Uh, Harper Lee is swirling in the heavens. And uh, Harper Lee was uh, an amazingly <laughs> important writer uh, in our lifetime. Um, I do improvisation uh, and as you know improvisation next to puns may be the highest that comedy can aspire to. <laughs> like an eagle swirling over an ink of fucking structure in the high Andes. There's no higher achievement than improvisation. <laughs> we simply don't know what we're going to say next and then we do it. <laughs> Sometimes we lay on the floor and pretend to boofuschlag each other. And everywhere we go, uh, in the improv group I'm in, uh, and by the way, everyone in the improv group in Seish, uh, I get out first and I host the show, and I say, does anyone have a favorite book? And over the years, I've noticed how it, uh, things have evolved. We've been doing this quite a long time. Uh, several years ago, uh, it was always uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, and Harry Potter, right, Harry Potter. And then my next joke would be, is anyone here over 11? <laughs> and uh, then sometimes Catcher in the Rye, And then the other night we were in British Columbia and I said, does anyone have a favorite book? And someone yelled, Moby Dick! Like that. And I knew they'd never read it. Because no one's ever read Moby Dick. And if you had read it, you wouldn't yell it out with that kind of enthusiasm. Because it's really a book about suppressed Christianity, uh, suppressed homosexuality, and a lot of tying of lines. (laughs) We're forever at the mizzenmast, and uh, the whale comes in in the last goddamn chapter, and then it's a very biblical, you know, Ahab's fight with the whale. It's super from hell's heart, I stab at thee, and all that, right? You know, Uh, not that it's an unworthy parable, but. Uh, Then I said any other books and the crowd and there was 1200 people in this room went silent and I went so there's only Moby Dick (laughs) and finally because we live in I think we finally reached not this room of course not on a night when I've received the book of bastards Viking adventure and all these fabulous art books and all the books I was reading you that people have given me not you guys. But I think part of the problem in this country and the electorate and what's going on with the way information is disseminated over the interwebs and the way people receive information is that the Republican revolution that happened uh, in the 70s and carried on through Reagan in the 80s and then uh, was uh, uh, enabled by the Supreme Court in the 2000s was that everyone should be um, completely Illiterate and, uh, and unable to think laterally, unable to write an expository paper, unable to write a compound sentence, unable to understand the structure of words and their meaning, unable to parse the fucking meaning from the lies that were told constantly, unable to glean. Uh, w- w- uh, now we live in a reactive society where people have cap lock fever and write, I hate that fucking thing on their Twitter. <laughs> Do you realize when you write in caps with an exclamation point that I read it the way you've written it? At the top of your voice? I don't know what you're trying to emphasize by writing in capitals. One, that you're illiterate. Two, that I know you don't, have to, you don't know how to write cursive. And, and that you can't uh, read a watch. I'm not putting people down for not being able to read or watch or write cursive. Those things won't be useful in the next 25 years. Being able to read is, of course, most useful because you have a phone and, you, and we all read off our phones all the time. Um, but we've reached that point where they wanted to dumb the country down. Uh, Blue-collar people, I guarantee you, when I was a child, had a grasp of American politics and read a paper every morning. Now, because newspapers were destroyed by the interweb and whatever, the corporations and the government whoever wanted to do this to us, um, no one goes on their phone and reads every newspaper in the morning. Maybe some of you do. Maybe there's some fucking intellectual people out there who are curious and whatnot. But we don't all share the same uh, uh, quest for knowledge. And I believe one that children are small demons and two (laughs) that the powers that be were desperate to make us all tech savvy and culturally illiterate and at the same time emotionally illiterate Um, I'm not in the dating pool think fuck the idea of listening to someone tell me how hard their life was just so that I could pork them later barf (laughs) Barf. But my understanding is from the young people I speak to, and I interview them constantly. Thank you, Ryan. You're not that fucking young, by the way, Ryan. I hear from people, and they say, Oh, I went out with this guy, and we hooked up, and then he texted me. Like, if you're inside someone, <laughs> The least you could do is fucking phone them the next day. And the crowds got completely quiet and everyone's arms are crossed. Flowers, chocolates, champagne, romance. Nobody? Nothing? Long walks on the beach? Waterfalls? Whippoorwills? Sandpipers. Long slow kisses that last a hundred days. Nobody, nothing. No. now. Nah. I'm going to watch the Brazilian Beaver page. Then I'm going to text this bitch I fucking hooked up with two nights ago. No means yes and yes means ain't oh, fucking A, dude. I got a fucking, I got a fucking barbed wire tattoo. Me and my bros are going to wear some caps and fucking get to, yeah, do some Jager bombs and shit. Wear our shirts untucked fucking Trump! When anyone says anything, I'm going to go woo hoo.
1: Uh,
0: they wanted us to be illiterate and they wanted us to be uninformed. An informed populace, an informed electorate, is a dangerous one because that's where sedition is brewed. Right When you have enough knowledge to realize That shit's being dealt to you That you don't want fucking dump you Then you organize and pull your shit together Like Black Lives Matter Like all the feminists in this country Like all the people who support uh, Asian rights And gay rights and and Latin rights And every other goddamn fucking interest group In this country There can't be enough agendas for me The problem with having a two-party system Is that no agendas get fucking looked after Rich people agendas get looked after. Well, that's why I'm not Yeah, I heard your fucking reasons. I read your shit article in Salon. Your poorly thought out, fucking badly written, wankily expressed bullshit. Really? And you think wankily expressed bullshit is a good way to phrase something? It's catchy. It's easy to remember. Uh, uh. Harper Lee was born out in Alabama and um, Harper Lee wrote To Kill a Mockingbird and what were you getting at with that improv story the only book that everyone seems to know is To Kill a Mockingbird and that's been yelled out uh, over the last few years when the Capote movies came out several years ago the two dueling Capote movies the one with Katherine Keener as Harper Lee and then the one with Sandra Bullock as Harper Lee um, it, it appeared again in all the airports just like when True Grit came out a couple of years ago when the Coen brothers redid it um, all the Charles Portis True Grits came out again at the airport that's how I measure everything <laughs> what's at the airport right uh, And it, because you know it's Ken Follett and it's uh, Janet Ivanovich and it's Dan Brown and it's Michael Patterson. You know who I'm talking about, these authors. You fucking know who I'm talking about. And then there'll be a couple of classics. Well, a few years ago it was the 50th anniversary of 451 uh, where the government burns books so that you don't learn too much or read too much. Uh, uh, on the road, I bought at an airport and read when I did the 50th anniversary uh, documentary of that. And, but uh, all of uh, Harper Lee's one book, And now, of course, she had the other one that came out last year uh, to set a watchman. And that one, we don't even know if we have time to discuss that this week. But in any case, let's stay on to Kill a Mockingbird. Everyone seems to know this book. And it's taught, according to this article in the New York Times here, um, it's taught in... Here it is. An annual printing of two million... um, uh, I believe it's taught in almost every school in the country. It's part of the curriculum. And there's, it's a double-edged sword, right? Let's, I was going to read the whole article, but it's quite long. Atticus Finch is the uh, father in the book, and uh, Scout is the girl in the book, and then there's the little blonde boy who's Truman Capote. Who is was her childhood friend. Um, Harper Lee was a tomboy and her dad let her wear overalls and she beat the shit out of all the boys in her neighborhood. And one of the boys she beat the shit out of was Truman Capote <laughs> who used to come and visit because he had family in Monroeville, Alabama. So they would hang out and then uh, Truman put her in uh, his book and uh, he, she helped him research in cold blood and then they weren't not friends that much after that but she put him in uh, To Kill a Mockingbird as well. Now, her father has to defend a black man who's unjustly accused of raping a white woman. Well, it all goes horribly wrong and I won't spoil it for you in case you've never seen it. It's a book about racial injustice... (laughs) It's a book about racial injustice, and it's a movie, a brilliant movie, with Gregory Peck in it about racial injustice. And no one is more perfectly cast, maybe in the history of cinema, than Gregory Peck as Atticus Finch. Because he wears uh, horn rim glasses, and he's a widower, and he has this girl that he has to look after, his daughter. And he imbues his children with a sense of um, dignity and uh, morality and says quite a lot about the judicial system, particularly in the South, in the 30s when the book takes place and the movie takes place, about the unjust dealings that black people are dealt, and are still dealt to this very moment Um, and of course he's, well Scout you have to understand (laughs) right, And and the glasses come off and he folds them and whatnot. one of the few public appearances Harper Lee made was at Gregory Peck's funeral where Brock Peters gave one of the eulogies and Brock Peters plays the unjustly accused black man in the movie You can look at it as a a devastating glimpse of what America is like, what the South was like, what racial inequality is like. You can also say that Atticus Finch is someone who's caught in the time he's in and in the position he's in. And that maybe he's not an advocate for racial justice. Maybe he's just someone who's doing the right thing at the time. And then you can go even further if you want And I'm going to right now and say that maybe he's not doing enough because he's a white person and that no white person can understand this and that it's a book that makes white people feel good. Now, I'm not putting down Harper Lee in any way. She's a devastating author, and the message of the book is profound. There's no question of that. But I want everyone to look at everything from all sides here. Um, White people feel good about the book because white people feel good about um, Atticus Finch being lenient and his racial views in this horribly racist milieu in which the book is set and the town in which it's set. However, the fact that we've made so little progress over so long, should be indicative of the fact that white people often feel good with the smallest bone thrown to whomever and that men particularly feel good about the smallest bone thrown to whomever and that equality is never on the agenda if it's difficult for men to achieve by having to do something in society. Uh, I didn't mean to bum everyone out, but that's how I fucking feel. And um, uh, I... I, I, I'm not diminishing her craft in art as a writer in any way. She's a writer of some power. Here's a line in it, uh, several lines from the book that I think are fantastic. I wanted you to see what real courage is instead of getting the idea that courage is a man with a gun in his hand. That has never been more resonant and that is the essence of America. Uh, we're a country born and bled and paid in bled. And... This is a lawyer speaking in the book. It's Atticus speaking in the book. It's when you know you're licked before you begin, but you begin anyway and see it through no matter what. And that's something we can all adhere to. This one I thought was a tremendous line. Sometimes the Bible in the hand of one man is worse than a whiskey bottle in the hand of another. You can never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view. Until you climb into his skin and walk around in it. Um, I know it's in the male pronoun there, but you'll have to allow everyone some leeway on that. Um, it won the Pulitzer Prize. It turned her into an icon. She never wrote the second book. The second book is very contentious, if you ask me. Um, in it, Atticus is a little more racist, and uh, Ghost at a Watchman it's called. Uh, she had submitted to her editors in 1957 under the title "Go at a Watchman. Ms. Lee's lawyer chanced upon it, attached an original transcript typescript to Kill a Mockingbird while looking through it. It was the story of Atticus and his daughter, Jean Louise Finch, known as Scout 20 years later when Scout's a young woman living in New York. It included several scenes in which Atticus expresses conservative views on race relations, seemingly at odds with his liberal stance in the earlier novel. Not at odds at all. Encompassing the reality Of the situation. Um, She can on the one hand. And he is. A most powerful advocate. For racial equality. And that's the beauty and majesty. And awesomeness of Harper Lee. That will never be denied. The thrust of To Kill a Mockingbird. Is undeniable. Irrevocable and unforgettable. And the power of the movie. And the power of what happens in it. Is is, uh, something that everyone should experience. And that's why it's so resonant. The Civil War was a war. Um, that this country's never gotten over that we're still fighting every day and I would add to that that it's not just a war about race it's a war about everything in this country everyone has to fight their own civil war in this country all the bloody time even to get a look in um, in any case uh, she's swirling in the heavens now and um, there's nothing but admiration for Harper Lee um, when people say oh uh, horrible no one ever said it about Harper Lee but people do go well she didn't write that many books she only wrote the one book and then the one book that came out Years later, and like that. Um, you didn't write To Kill a Mockingbird.
1: <laughs>
0: if you only wrote one book and it was To Kill a Mockingbird, then good for fucking you. Because it's a book of profound influence. And as Abraham Lincoln would have said, it speaks to the better uh, angels of our nature. Uh, having said that, I'll leave you with another quote. Uh, uh, Martin Luther King said, and, and think about this the next time you see a protest on TV, a riot is the voice of the unheard. Uh, and that's what riots are. Uh, what are we spinning here at the end, Rye? Uh, theme song? No, not the theme song. That's too trite at the end of this. I've led up to this giant literary fucking denouement.
1: <laughs>
0: With all this pretentious puffery and bloviating, I can't just play my theme song at the end. Um... How about something gravy? What about Chaka Khan? Okay, he said I can do that. Well, hooray for us. Uh, We'll get to everybody else uh, in the next episode. I just wanted to say, uh, again, thank you very much for coming out. Uh, Got anything? Yeah, yeah. Well, spin that motherfucker. Uh, thank you very much for coming out. You've been the smartest crowd in the world. I've been the smartest man in the world. For every page you turn, be a statue page. For every bell that leads to you, be a cool pop bell. And if you have to buy bonds, make sure they're very bonds. I wish you nothing but love. Good night.